The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy on Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. And I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And uh, it's 9-11 it's and yes. uh, a very important day that we want to make sure that we commemorate all of the um, uh, amazing and devastating things um, that hap happened on that day many years ago. Um, and we had uh, put it out on our schedule that we wanted to make sure that we were doing a special salute to first responders uh, that are individuals who have kiddos who are on the autism spectrum. And, and I wanna say, you know, initially we had, had, had wanted to have a bunch of parents on. It's a very weird time in our climate with a lot of the things that we're gonna talk about in the news coming up. Um, and, and I don't think that anybody felt especially warm and squishy about doing a show this week and talking about that particular topic. I think it was inconvenient this week and there's a lot of other stuff going on. But we, I think Nancy and I both feel um, particularly, um, I, I, I don't know what the, what the right word is, respectful, indebted. Um, we wanna honor people who are first responders um, and people who do service. And, and I know that's a very important thing for you, Nancy. Um, and um, I can't even imagine, you know, as we watch today in Southern California with all the fires that are happening right. here and up the coast, the West Coast of the United States and all the firefighters, men and women who are leaving their homes in this COVID situation and going out there and trying to save other people's homes. It, it is amazing. And to know that statistically, there is a, a large portion of those people who are leaving homes where they have kiddos on the autism spectrum. Right. And um, so we want to acknowledge how uh, amazing the work that all of our first responders do and how much we rely upon them. And that despite, you know, and we talk, and we're going to talk more in a minute about um, some of the things happening in the last week, but we know that there are so many, I think the overwhelming majority of people who go into a service industry go into it for the right reasons because they want I to- I agree, I agree. And we can't lose sight of that when there are stories to the contrary of that, of the very few that you know don't respond appropriately. We have to remember the thousands of first responders who do respond appropriately. And especially, as you said, in this time of the wildfires and in this time of COVID, yes. um, 
all of the first responders that had been fighting this for the last, I mean, since the beginning of March, you know, we were really, I don't think anybody had any clue of how long this pandemic was going to last. Well, and when you look at, I don't know what the actual statistics are. I wish I had them to pull up for you, but I know that last week they announced on the news here in Los Angeles that more police officers have died of COVID this year than any other, you know, including work-related. Um, that, and although they believe that in most cases it was work-related how they contracted COVID. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, sensitive time. I do think, I don't wanna lose sight of the fact that in all professions, you're gonna have people who are in there for the wrong reasons or don't belong in those jobs. And, and regardless of the fact that so many are there for the right reasons, we still have to make sure that we are weeding out the people who should not be in this profession. We still have to make sure that they get the proper training um, and, and that they're being used properly. But we have to salute uh, the vast majority of our, our first responders who are out there being heroes and doing a very good job and that it is a necessary job. Uh, I, I, I wanted to take just a second with you, Nancy, and um, have us each tell a little bit about what 9-11 was like for us. It is frightening to think to me that there are adults now, adults who were not yet alive uh, when 9-11 happened, right? Isn't that the thing that there are adults? this year? Yes, isn't, because how many years ago, I'm not good at math, yeah. No, there are 18 year olds that are out there that were not yet born. Right, my son. Yes. Is one yes. of them. Um, so, and, and so they were not on the planet when it happened. And I think it is important for those of us who, who were to tell the stories of what happened and what we experienced on that day. And you have a pretty amazing story. As I said to you last night, in a real sense, you became a mom on 9-11. That's so right. You wanna tell your, your story? Yeah, um, we had been trying to adopt or trying to have a child in general and had um, had many struggles with that. Um, after my son, my husband was diagnosed with prostate cancer, we weren't, weren't able to have a child in the typical biological way we had to do in vitro and the in vitro didn't work. And then we tried an egg donor and that failed. Um, we tried a domestic adoption, which didn't go through the first one we tried. Um, and then we had a really horrific adoption scam. Yeah. Um, we were set up with a birth mother who wasn't even pregnant. But of course, I didn't know that till much later. And she effectively stole our money and really hoodwinked us um, and was doing it to many couples. And that was devastating. That was a devastating experience. Um, and we were connected to that birth mother through an adoption attorney and later found out that it's not incumbent upon the adopt private adoption attorneys to check out proof of identification or proof of pregnancy. She had forged all those things. Wow. And, um, I was just recovering from the blow of that after catching her in this tremendous scam lie that she had perpetrated on us and had pretty much given up um, any hopes of adopting. And on 9-11, the 
course, as everybody was watching, the first trade center collapsed, had collapsed. And um, I was watching the screen. And as the second trade center, right before the second trade center collapsed, the phone rang and it was the adoption attorney's assistant saying a new birth mother had come in. And literally as that second trade center collapsed, I had the premonition that this was gonna be our child. So that was on 9-11 and Wyatt was born on 11-9. Um, after hearing about this birth mother, I went into the adoption attorney's office and saw the paperwork. And on the following weekend was on a flight out of Burbank because LAX was closed, I believe. Yeah. And went down to meet the birth mother in Phoenix, Arizona. Amazing. Amazing. And I know that in that moment, because we've talked about this before, when, when that second trade center was falling and they were saying to you, there's a baby and you, you know, there was a moment where you were like, Are we, is there going to be a world in right. which to bring I this thought, baby in? When she said, there's a baby, I'm like, I don't even know if we're going to be, you know, what's going to be happening in our world. Yeah. And I thought of all the parents who would never be coming home to a child, you know, yeah. Yeah. that this was their last time um, being alive. Yeah. And it was a really, you know, I thought as, as this child might be coming into my life, so many parents would never be seeing their children again. Yeah. Horrifying. And for me, you know, um, it's funny, sometimes you feel like, like, and I, I, I sort of feel like the world felt that something was coming. Um, we, we had had an event where I lived probably a month before where um, a police officer on a routine check, there had been a complaint about something, um, about somebody, he went to a house and um, this young man opened the door and the police officer was just like gonna talk to him about his sprinklers or something. But the kid was, kid, he was an adult. He was hiding a whole bunch of guns and ammo. And uh, it turned into this big, in this very suburban um, neighborhood in which I was working. And um, it turned into this SWAT team, helicopters. Um, the house blew up. It was, it was craziness. There was a police officer that lost his life. There was, and it was this, everybody felt very unsettled. And, and I remember talking with my employer about it. I was like, I just, I, I feel unsettled. She said, I feel unsettled too. It feels like what's, what's happening when this can happen in a neighborhood, um, like what is happening? And it, it set me to thinking about, for whatever reason, about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I, for, I had moved to LA and had, you know, after years of teaching, I had gotten a job working as an agent, a, a talent agent, submitting people for television and film roles. I never and knew was, you did that. Well, I, for, you know, for like about a nine month period, I was an agent and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I, and, um, and I was reevaluating going, is this really what I want to do? And um, I, you know, I had been a teacher and a performer and I, my master's degree is in theater. And right, so as I was like, oh, I don't know if this is what I want to do, Disney had reached out to me and they, of course they have the Lion King and in the Lion King, they have all these young performers. And as, you know, as we've talked about many times on the show before, there's a lot of disparity about education and for the, the, the performers that go into the Lion King, 
to, you know, to be on a, uh, a Broadway show or a Broadway tour, it's very exhausting for the kiddos. They can, you know, they have to have multiple kiddos to play the same role. So if a kiddo is sick or you just, you just can't work a kiddo that hard and they have to have a certain level of training. And what they were finding is for the, for the population that they needed to play these roles, which are usually black, black and brown children, um, that they didn't have a lot of formal training um, in singing and dancing and acting. So Disney had decided that they were going to do a program where um, they were going to go to certain cities and they were going to put together these small academies, which were going to give free acting and, and singing and dance lessons to people in the community and hopefully to identify talent and cultivate, cultivate talent that potentially could go into The Lion King or into other shows that Disney was putting together. And so I, they reached out to me and asked me if I would come and work for them and be the acting coach for the, the, the young teenage kids, not wow. the little kids. But, and so I had just the night before 9-11 given notice and said, I'm, I'm leaving this and I'm gonna go work for Disney and that's what I'm going to do. And I was supposed to start with Disney on the 16th of September. And the next morning, my uh, employer called me and after we'd talked to it and she understood and she was like, it's fine. And you know, I'm glad for you that you're gonna go and do this. Went to bed knowing that I was leaving my job to go to something else, woke up to her calling me in the morning and, she, and it was, I don't know, like seven o'clock um, Pacific time. And she said, are you watching the news? You need to turn on the news. It's so horrible, turn the news on. And, um, and I, and, you know, I couldn't believe my eyes. And I, uh, so that was 9-11. And of course, everything changed on that day and the airports were shut down. Um, and they, you know, for a couple of days here in LA, the shows weren't open, but by, by the 15th, the Lion King was back open at the Pantages and I had tickets to go on the 15th. And it was the first live show that they did after 9-11. And, and so, and I was supposed to start the next day, but they had postponed, but I went and saw the Lion King and they came out before and everybody had a moment of silence and held hands and they, and we prayed as an audience in the Pantages um, for everyone and for the world. And they said, and obviously if there's a need to stop the show, if anything is happening, we will, we want you to enjoy and let us, you know, let us be in charge of that, but we will, if there's a reason why we need to stop the show, we will. And so we all watched the show with this sense of camaraderie and I, you know, I love live theater. And then after the show was over, the cast came out in, in all of their Lion King regalia, but they took off their masks, put them on top of their heads. And we all stood up and sang, God bless America. Oh, and what a beautiful moment that was. To this day, I, I well up when I think about it because it was the most patriotic I think I've ever felt in my entire life. Right. Now, sadly, Broadway, Broadway was closed for, a, you know, what, like a month. Um, and um, a lot of the, the tours got postponed and the, the academy that Disney was doing got postponed and postponed and postponed. And ultimately it did not happen in the way that they had envisioned it. And so I never did go to work for Disney. And, um, you know, I, I think about it all the time. And, and, and when I tell people this, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you lost a career with, with Disney. And, and I always say, if that's the only thing I lost in 9-11, I did, I did really well. 
right. because one of, one of my favorite students of all time, uh, a lot of my students were working in New York at the time that the towers went down. And one of my favorite students uh, was working in the towers and um, he was not there that morning because he had an audition, but the young man that was not my student, but was his best friend was in the towers and perished. And uh, I remember shaking when I heard that, um, that Noah was okay, that he had been at, at an audition. And so he was not able to be at work that morning. Um, and when I think about the loss of life, um, absolutely devastating. So uh, we just wanted to take that moment this morning. And I know that you guys may have stories. I did not say we, we are live and we relish you guys writing in and commenting. You can do that right now on our Facebook, on our YouTube. We'd love to hear from you how, um, how you commemorate this day. What is the memory for you? Um, is there a message of hope in, in what you what you have experienced because heaven knows you know a lot of people are comparing this morning that as a nation we're also going through something now um as a world we're going through something right now um but i especially want to give a shout out and i know nancy does too to those families who are first responders who also have kiddos on the autism spectrum i don't want you to feel forgotten uh we appreciate you and we appreciate there you may be dog barking in here in a minute shannon Okay, well, we're not hearing anything yet, but it happens. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Life is going on behind us as we're doing this webcast. There we go. There we go. Uh, there we go. Uh, dogs, just like the dogs behind you in the picture. Okay, so let's, um, and if it get, gets particularly bad, I know sometimes I have to mute myself, Nancy, for a couple of seconds until, you know, but you're fine right now. So don't worry about okay, it. I'll mute um, her. when I'm going to let her out the door in a second here. Okay. All right. So, um, but I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about the news because um, we have some, you know, even update uh, breaking news with some things going on here in the autism community. We talked a little bit on Wednesday, but we didn't get a chance to talk with Nancy about the ongoing story of this, uh, the 13-year-old in uh, Utah who uh, was shot. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that's been reported in the last couple of days by an outlet in the state of Utah is that this occurred exactly one day before they were rolling out a new de-escalation policy of how to de-escalate things. I know I have been one of the people screaming and yelling about this the last couple of days that, um, you know, it's, I, I don't relish the fact that when something happens, everybody starts pointing fingers. Well, it's so-and-so's fault. Well, you know, um, it's the police, it's this, it's that, it's that policeman. And in this particular instant, I, I'm a big one about we need training and experts. Now, I think it's a little, I don't know. I don't know what uh, Utah has in place, but they're saying, well, we had something that was supposed to start a day later. A day later. That feels a little pat to me. And I, and I hope that they're really honestly looking at what they're doing to see if it's going to be effective. Because if they're going to hang their hat on that, I'm a little concerned. And you, Nancy? Yeah, um, I, I'm hoping, you know, you can only hope that this would have prevented this from happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're that, a day away from rolling it out, how does this happen the day before you do? It doesn't, right. doesn't it's work. It's just a horrible irony that this happened a day before they rolled it out. 
Um, and I know more and more police departments around the country are doing this kind of training, which is great. Um, but we urge all police departments to get this training because yeah, it's so horrific when something, when an incident like this happens, because unfortunately, as we said, there's so many great first responders, but this shines yes. a lot on those who are not. Well, and I think, you know, I said this the other day, it comes down to perspective taking for me. Um, you know, you and I have been in circumstances in our life where we have seen what it looks like when uh, a person on the spectrum, even a, a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 13-year-old when they're having a meltdown. And I think that there are many people who have not seen what that looks like. Right. And and I, I know that, um, I'm trying to think, probably the last time that my son had a meltdown in public where people saw it, he, he might've been eight years old. Uh -huh. But I, re I remember like it was yesterday, how everyone, cause he had been around, he'd been at his school and he'd never had a meltdown. And then he had a meltdown. And I remember even the school psychologist, she was like, I've never seen anything like that in the world. I had no idea that he, that could okay. happen. I had no idea that he was capable of doing that. We've never even seen a glimmer of that. And I wanted to smack her upside the head. Uh -huh. and go, you of all people, because she acted like it was like this thing that she wanted to get far away from. Now, I do remember the first time that I saw it, I was scared. Uh huh. I was scared. Absolutely. And, and I'm at a place now where I've had the opportunities, especially when we do Sensitive Santa, you know, I, I get to see 200 kids within a a 24 hour period of all over the spectrum of all ages. And I, I've seen a lot. I will not say that I've seen everything, but um, I understand why somebody would be afraid. I get it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that with knowledge and support, there's no reason to be afraid. Um, but this parent called 911 for a reason because mm -hmm. she was afraid and she needed support. Right. And she was afraid of what was gonna happen. So I, I, I wish that everybody would look at it through that lens. Cause some people are like, he's a 13 year old, you know, what on earth, what is wrong with you? And I agree that I don't think a you know, that we need to ever on the spectrum, not on the spectrum need to pick up a gun against a 13 year old. And I've seen some things in my life and a 13 year old can be out of control and dangerous. I right. get it. Right. I totally, totally get it, but I have seen experts deal with it. And it's, if you have an expert, there's a way to deal with it. Um, so I just don't believe that that young man need to be shot, but I don't, I think we have to stop acting like it's so crazy that it could happen. If somebody didn't know and saw that behavior, I could understand completely why they would be afraid of something bad happening. Right. I can as well. I mean, my son has had some pretty violent tantrums and continues. We're putting more boundaries in place. And he had a tantrum a month ago where he kicked down the wall, kicked down a door in our house. And that was a month ago Yeah, because of some boundaries we put in place for him. And I'm sure that was scary for you. It was very scary that he could get that angry. Um, and and, and I don't think that there are parents. Happened, he started, yeah, with COVID and with the restrictions of him not being able to go to school and not being able to do his regular activities, he's had a return to some tantrums. Thank, thankfully, they have ceased. 
But when COVID first started, he had some pretty violent tantrums and he's 18 and, you know, can get pretty physical and aggressive. And if there's any parent, and I said this on Wednesday, if there's any parent out there whose child has of any age has had a meltdown and there wasn't even a little bit of fear either for the child or, or that the child, you know, the child could hurt themselves or hurt someone else, including the parent, you know, I want to say congratulations if you have not experienced that, but I don't know any autism parents that have not experienced that where at least one day at one time that they were concerned about safety. So I just don't think that having a police force that doesn't know how, what that looks like and how to respond to it, that can't be a good idea. Right, right. And to say, well, we were training them and we were getting ready to roll it out tomorrow is not a reason for me. No, not a reason. And um, the child did not have a weapon, certainly. And I don't think there's any reason unless it's self-defense. And I can't imagine that the officer in question thought that this child was going to do him, you know, mortal harm. I do think that that's what the officer thought. That he thought the the child was going to do him bodily harm, but would it have been mortal harm? Right, right. And I think that that's a good point. Um, Now, I love that uh, Sally Burton Hoyle, who's a wonderful expert, uh, has joined us on the chat and has said, do not invite the government police into your lives. And I, and I think that that is a crushing reality statement that makes me want to sob. Well, but let's I, examine that statement. So yes. she's saying the mother should never have called the police. Well, I, I think what, uh, what she is suggesting is that when you, when you call the police, you are inviting people who don't know how to treat our kids. Okay. And, and I think that unfortunately, and Sally, correct me if I'm saying anything that is not what you're saying, but I, but I think that that is the truth. Um, I think that is the current status. Uh, it pains me because I think that there are parents out there who are like, well, then who do I call? And, and I would love to say, you know, a lot of different answers, but we've seen, Nancy, in our time doing this show, people who've taken their kids to the emergency room and that didn't go well. We've seen people who called the police and, not, and other than this child, it didn't go well, right? Uh, people who've called child protective services and that didn't go well. Um, I, I, I think that the only time I've seen it go well is when you're already working with a team of people that are autism experts, and then you right. call those people. Right. Um, and, and that's, unfortunately, in my Santa bag, that's all I have for people. Um, if you are somebody who doesn't have access already to a team of people who are helping you, I want to encourage you to do that that chances are that your insurance or the government will pay for that. Make sure you get somebody who's good quality. And I know that's a mixed bag, Um, but for people who are in remote areas, it's like, well, who do you call? I don't fault this parent for calling the police, but I agree with you, Sally Burton Hoyle, that I don't think that that, I would not recommend people that that is the way you pursue help if your child is having a meltdown. Yeah, but that leaves leaves a lot of parents with no options, I think. I understand. Yes. And I, and I, and I think that that is a disservice and and I am lobbying hard for police to change how they do things. And I always have to come back to, you know, what is our part in it? And I, I feel like 
it's it's hard because the self-advocates constantly are online and 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 they tell parents stop posting pictures of your child having a tantrum. It's inhumane. They're going to grow up. Those pictures will be there. I get it from their point of view, but I want to say to those self-advocates, by not allowing the public to see what a meltdown and a tantrum looks like, we're just exacerbating the problem. Right. I agree um, with that. So, but I understand where they're coming from too. It's a very hard line, but I think here on Autism Live, we need to be showing more of that and showing, you know, the truth of that, that sometimes it's not pretty and sometimes it, you know, it requires thought and patience and you will find yourself afraid and here's what to do then. I'll never um, forget the time when my son had a particularly, when Wyatt had a particularly violent tantrum and it happened to be when his regional center coordinator was visiting, mm, mm. which turned out to be opportune for me because yeah. she saw how out of control he could get. The dog, he was outside, he had a sandwich, the dog ate the sandwich and he went into a complete meltdown and she was there and it lasted for a half an hour. And yeah. he was about eight or nine years old at the time. And she was able to see what I had to deal with on occasion. Yeah. And it got me more behavioral therapy. Yeah. And more support. Because I do think when people, I have said, I have long said, if we could say to every sitting politician with up and down, what I don't care what your political affiliation is, make every sitting politician go and do a 48-hour visit, live in with a family with kiddos on the spectrum everything would change. Mm -hmm. Everything would change. Cause I think that I, as much as we talk about autism awareness and everybody's aware, I don't think that people are aware, which is part of what I want to talk about with our late breaking story. Um, <clears throat> that I don't know if you guys watch the show, big brother. Uh, it's on CBS. It is a show that has been on for decades and my family, I, my husband and I watch it. I, I will admit it's a guilty pleasure of ours. And we've I have watched to admit it. that I've never seen an entire episode. Well, you know, I, I would love to tell you that you're totally okay in the world and that you haven't missed anything. But for us, it is a guilty pleasure. We like okay. to watch. It's usually on just in the summer. Although sometimes when something happens, like when there was the writer's strike, they had a season when it was on during the winter. And what they do is they take a group of people and uh, you know they, ca they cast people from different walks of life and they shove them into a house together and there are hidden cameras everywhere and they agree to be on camera 24 hours a day, seven days a week and mic'd. And there are production agreements that they have that they understand that they're being filmed and they show three times a week, they will show you what's happening in the house and they have contests and they, every week they vote somebody out. And the last person in the house um, wins a half a million dollars. So, um, but then there are things that happen, you know, those things that you watch are usually edited, right? But there's stuff happening in the house 24 hours a day and they put out a live feed and you can subscribe to it to watch and see what's happening you know, they will still blur some of it out so that they don't give away uh, big spoiler alerts to ruin the show. But uh, I don't usually ever watch the live feeds. We just watch the show that's on CBS three times a week. Um, now, a couple of years ago, they had a young man um, who was on the show and he, I think he was 19 at the time, Ian, I'm referring to. And, um, and I remember seeing this young man in the house and as things would happen, I would go, mm, 
I, th- I think he belongs to us. You know what I mean? Right. Like I never, right, right. I never want to diagnose anybody, but I was like, mm, I think, I think he plays on our team uh, is what I'm saying. Delightful, intelligent young man, but you know, a little quirky. Right. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, you know, Ian's with us. Well, Ian won. And it was so exciting. He won the half million dollars and we were like, yay, Ian won. Well, now this summer it is, now I've got my dog barking. Uh, Now this summer, because of COVID, they decided to do a superstars, like some of the biggest people who have ever been on Big Brother, fan favorites, some of them people who had won, some people who had not. And they put them into quarantine so that they could all be in the house together. And, um, Ian so is wait a minute, back. they had them all in, together in the house? What did yeah, they do? Did they do tests to make sure they weren't? They did testing. Them? They did testing, repeated testing. They put them up in hotels. They isolated them for two weeks. And then they put. They all agreed, signed all their things, but they're in the house right now together here in okay. Los Angeles. And, you know, they, they created a pod. They call and it a bubble. Ian, and Ian is one of those individuals. Ian agreed to come back to participate this year. And because he's a little older and he's a little bit, you know, more, um, you know, in a place where he feels like he can be more open, he decided very early on to this season that he identified himself as being on the autism spectrum. On the show. Is he Asperger's or does he... Well, you know, Asperger's doesn't really exist as a diagnosis anymore, right, but, right. but we would definitely have said that he is of the Asperger type. Very, right. very smart. Um, he's like a, a some sort of physicist or mathematician or, or something um, and very strategic. He sometimes has some um, social things where he'll go, I didn't get that, but he's pretty savvy, I got to say. Um, but this season, because he is out and identified himself, we're seeing, I, I think before CBS was maybe, I don't know, maybe he didn't, didn't have as many um, self-stimulatory behaviors before, but we're definitely seeing them this season. And we're seeing, you know, that he rocks a lot. Um, and and, and we're, we're able to see it and identify it and go, oh, look, there it is. Well, in the last 48 hours, we've seen some pretty disturbing stuff in the house where other of his housemates, unbeknownst to him, because, you know, you're able to see multiple cameras, have said some pretty horrible things. Um, I mean, the kind of stuff that just as a mom, you just go, oh, it just makes me feel so bad. Um, what there's are one some of the things they've said, Shannon? Well, one of the guys in the house who I've already had a problem with, <laughs> like this, this guy... Um, I've been like, Ooh, I have a problem with this guy anyway. Um, cause he has said some really horrible things to another cast member that I had issue with. Um, he's there in a bedroom with three of the women on the show and he goes off on Ian and says that he's like the red rum of big brother, which is a reference to the movie, the shining. And, and he says, he's creepy and he's always there. He, you know, like you turn around and he's standing there and um, and that he's that he's constantly rocking and that he creeps him out and that he doesn't like to be around him and he says you know it's like it's like I'm afraid I'm gonna have this nightmare and in my nightmare I'm gonna open my eyes and Ian's gonna be right in front of me and he's gonna be rocking like depicting him as someone that it, that he's afraid of 
and okay. that he's creepy and that he lurks. Right. And, I'm, and I'm like, you're locked in a house with a bunch of people. Of course, every time you turn around, he's going to be there. You, you, right. I want to call this guy a lot of names. Um, but, but, you know, he's in this performance for these three girls and he's like, oh, and he's this, and he's really denigrating this young man. And the three women are giggling, giggling and going, oh, I know, I know, I know. And then he leaves and one of the women says, you know, I really don't want to be like him because sometimes he can be really mean and he can be cruel. And she goes, but I got to be honest, like he, he makes me nervous. And she says the way he, Ian, make, Ian makes her nervous, Ian makes her nervous, the way he's in constant movement that and she goes, it makes me nervous. And she goes, is it me, you guys? I don't want to be like that guy, the, the guy who just left. I don't want to be like him, but is it me? She goes, like, I'll come into a room and he's moving and it, it just, it makes me nervous. And I need to move to the other side of the room because I don't want to be around him. And the other women kind of giggle and go, yeah, I know. And nobody takes up for poor Ian. Mm-hmm. And so people, you know, the, the internet has exploded with people on the spectrum saying, that this is crap. And I guess there's been other things um, that, that have been said, but I don't know, you know, what they are because I'm not watching the live feeds, but. Now, is um, everybody, everybody on the show is aware that he has autism? Yes. And the one girl who said he makes me nervous has made comments to other people on the show about she thinks that he's just using that to get ahead in the game. The other thing that the the guy uh, was making fun of is saying, you know, and what is this? Like you're trying to talk to him and all of a sudden it's like, he's like a robot and you just start spitting out all these big words. And I want to say, buddy, it's because he knows more words than you do. Like, I really don't like this guy, but he's making fun of him. Um, so anyway, everybody is mad. Everybody is saying that this is inappropriate, that this is them making fun of him because of his disability. They're asking CBS to censure. I mean, people are asking for everything under the sun. They're asking for CBS to come out with a statement to say that it's inappropriate to make fun of someone because they have a disability. They're asking them to, there is a diary room where they can pull those people in and talk to them and say, you need to stop that. Um, And they have asked, there's a precedent. They've asked people to stop singing on the show. So they certainly, and they've asked people in the past, I mean, people have done some pretty horrible things on the show. One woman took another uh, contestant's toothbrush and and cleaned the toilet with it and then put it back for them to use it. And they shut that down. They they got rid of the toothbrush, called her in and said, you're in trouble if you do this again, you're off the show. So it's not like there isn't a precedent for saying, hey, and supposedly um, the one woman who said he makes me nervous, they had called her into the diary room and had, I don't know what the conversation was, but it had before this happened, supposedly had a conversation with her and said, you need to, you know, watch what you say and pull it back or whatever. She was censured having to do with Ian. So we're waiting to see what will happen. Um, But I think it's a learning moment, a teaching moment. On the one hand, I'm so horrified for this young man who is so sweet and so smart and last night we were watching the show and I said, I just, I wish we could like, I don't have the rights to CBS's stuff, but there was a moment where all the contestants are sitting there and they're getting ready to evict someone. And I said, I would like to just show 30 seconds of this on television because Ian is rocking. 
Uh He's sitting there and he's rocking. But one of the girls, her foot is going like this. And one of, and one of the girls who was like, I know when she said it makes me nervous is sitting there and going like this with her toes. Every single one of them has something going on. Uh-huh. Um, every single one of them. Yes, Ian's is a little bit bigger, but they are all engaged in self-soothing behavior. And I would like for the world to look at that. I feel like for that twit girl who said, it makes me nervous. I don't know about you, Nancy, but I just feel like I've been through that with so, in, in my son's life with so many people and it's devastating to hear that. I think it's her truth. And I don't wanna to say to people that you're not allowed to talk about your truth, but I wish that someone had said, what makes you nervous about that? Why does it make you nervous when somebody else is rocking? Do you think that has more to do with you than with him? Like, I wish somebody had said that. Now, the girl who just laughed and, and responded and said, um, I know, me too. Um, she has already, she has sponsorships outside of the show because she had already been on the show twice before. So for instance, she had a sponsorship with the Olay company. And Olay yesterday came out and said, we are ending our relationship with her because we have a very hard line about bullying and participation in bullying and mocking disabilities. And we don't want to have any part of this. Would you consider what she did bullying though? It sounds like it wasn't quite to that level. Well, I got to be honest with you that because people were throwing a lot of uh, accusations and, and I thought, well, on the one hand, Ian was not in the room. Ian does not yet know that they said these things about him. Mm-hmm. But every single person who went into that house understood and signed a contract saying, you will film everything that I say and it will be available for all people. So they do know that Ian will see this at some point and they know that America is watching. And so in that respect, I absolutely do think that it's bullying. Okay. I absolutely do. And, and, I, and I know it's a, it's a funny line, but when I think about what Ian is going to feel like when he sees that, yes, that is what I, I think is really wrong. And, and I, I, I really think we need to be honest and kind of gird our loins for the fact that, you know, people are uncomfortable, but it's because of ignorance. I was raised by a woman who was, uh, she did not use the term handicapped, but my mother was born with both of her feet facing backwards, Almost always in my childhood, my mother was in a cast, a brace, a wheelchair, or she was limping. Those were the options, right? Right. And there were things we couldn't do because my mom couldn't get up the stairs. I mean, we lived with that day in and day out. And And I was raised with a brother with Down syndrome. Yeah. And knew what it was like to be, to go into places where strangers stared at you. um, Yes. Made comments. And I grew up feeling that sense of uh, separation as a young girl. You know, I grew yeah. up knowing what that, the pain of that was like, of being, of being made to feel different. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's this insidious thing in life, and I've seen this with my mother and with my son, where you'll make a friend and you'll be with a friend or a colleague and you're, you know, you're hanging out and, and you feel like uh, you're accepted and your kid is accepted and everything is wonderful. And then comes the moment when they say something and you realize, oh, 
they're uncomfortable or they don't want to be around us or, and it's devastating. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely devastating um, when, when you see the truth of how people feel. And I know that this isn't just the disability community. I think, you know, this, this spans everything that when people are nervous about being with someone who is different, when they, when they feel like, well, I, I don't like that because it makes me feel uncomfortable. It, it tears me to the soul. Um, you know, my, my niece said something re recently and I thought it was brilliant. And then, uh, and she said, no, 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 I learned this from you <laughs> because she said she has a hearing thing and somebody said something to her about how frustrating it was because her hearing aids or whatever, and they weren't, she wasn't hearing them and they, and they were like, <sighs> and she said, I know, I know this is so frustrating for you, but I just want you to think about the fact that you're only having to deal with this for the 10 minutes that you're talking to me and I have to deal with it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she said that I had done that in front of her at a Subway sandwich place because I was asking them to change their gloves, to make a sandwich for, for my son and I that, uh, to make a salad for us and we allergic to can't have gluten. And they, this girl was so put out. And I had said to her, I, boy, I, I get it. This is so frustrating for you. It's lunch right. hour. And I'm asked, I, I see the frustration. I'm hundred percent clear. I get it. And it's so frustrating, but in 10 minutes, I'm going to be out of your hair and gone. And this won't happen to you again but he's going to deal with this for the rest of his life and attitudes like yours. And she was shamed, man. She turned 68 kinds of purple. Um, but I, I almost, I'm hoping that, that we will have a bigger conversation about this big brother. Cause I don't think these people realize how horrible they were being. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people would say, unfortunately would say, oh yeah, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But I hope we will start the conversations about why. Why are you uncomfortable? I can remember a time when I was uncomfortable. Um, and I'm, I would love to say that I'm never uncomfortable now, but when I'm uncomfortable now, I'm able to go, why? And think to myself, it's because I don't know what to do right now. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to do with that person. It's that I don't know what the rules are. I don't know. I've shared before that um, one of the biggest challenges that I've had um, in the years of doing this show is that there are times when we'll be out doing a live, whatever, whether it's on the red carpet or at, a, at an event, and somebody will come up that I don't know, and we'll be live. And we're like, hi, who are you? And the dad, you know, I can think of one instance in particular where the dad said, well, I'm, you know, so-and-so, and this is my son. And I, and I stick the microphone in the son's face. And I'm like, so tell us about what do you like about, and, and the dad said, oh, no, he's nonverbal. And I was like, okay, well, you know, and then I just kept asking questions because it was me being stupid and me not knowing how do I conduct an interview with someone who is nonverbal. Like I want to be able to communicate with this young man and my uncomfortableness stems from, I want to communicate and I don't know how, because all the rules in my head of communication aren't going to apply here. Some of them will, well, but think, some of them I won't. I think the case of anybody that um, reacts to someone with a disability is about their own discomfort, um, you point out. I mean, that, 
you know, um, or it's curiosity. Children do it oftentimes. I remember one time taking my brother to the Y to swim and a child saying to me, what's up with him? Yeah. And I said, well, he's got something called Down syndrome. And the kid said, well, he seems like a good kid. Right. Right. You know, when we don't have fear attached to it. It's just a curiosity oftentimes. And, and I think that that's the proper way to deal with it. So I'm hoping, I hope that CBS does come out with a statement. I hope that they, I hate to see it continue. Um, and, I, and I hate to watch, unfortunately, the people who said the horrible things. And, and, and here's the other thing, the woman who lost her, her Olay contract, I'm sure that other people are like, yeah, she really wasn't the one saying things. But I'll tell you what, she sat there and, ah, and said, me too. And in this world, we're not going to get anywhere unless people stand up and say, wait a second. Wait a second. Let's remember that Ian doesn't really have a choice about that. Mm -hmm. You have a choice about what you're saying, but Ian doesn't have a choice about that. And she carries herself as somebody who's a good person. And I'm sure that she felt socially awkward in the moment. But if you are going to be out there as a spokesperson, then you need to speak up. That's what spokespeople do. You need to represent. Now, many people outside the house, who uh, people who have already been voted off the show and are aware of the controversy have stepped forward and said, this is unconscionable, this, this is inappropriate. Um, and two of the people who were on this particular season but were voted off in the last couple of weeks are, are alleging that there was more of this that was happening to his face. I don't know. I haven't watched, but, um, you know, we have, we, I tweeted at those people and said, would you like to come on the show and talk about it? So we'll see. Um, but, uh, one of the gentlemen in particular, I'm speaking about Kaser, um, said that before he left the house, that he had an opportunity to sit and talk with Ian. He said, don't, don't ever let anybody make fun of you. Don't ever, you know, let anybody talk to you that way. Don't let them push you around. Um, so, I just want to be clear that we are in support of Ian. Uh, we are not in support of people making fun of disabilities. And, and I, I hope that Big Brother does and CBS does something, whether it's take these people aside and give them some training and sensitivity. Um, but it is really poignant and hard right now for the autism community to watch these people be winning competitions and doing these things in, in other rooms, it, it kind of is a big turnoff. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that CBS hears that and reacts. Um, there are other issues. And over the years, this is not the first time that autism has been a controversy. Another guy who won on the show in a previous season um, said that he, on the show identified himself as someone who worked with individuals on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. and he would always talk so positive about it and then one night he sat and and talked about how annoying his clients were really and, that's shocking yes, yes. and you know and the, the center the autism center that he worked at fired him uh -huh. on that day but then he went on to win big brother and at the ceremony, got his check for $500,000, not knowing that he had lost his job. So this mm. is not the first time that autism has come up on Big Brother. Um, but in that case, we all already knew that he had lost his job. I think we were all like, okay, you know, he's already been fired. He's a butthole. He should not be working 
with anyone. Um, but it was still, you know, I didn't want to watch him win $500,000. Um, I, I wanted to throw up on him. Um, and many times, almost every season, and this season is no exception, there are issues dealing with race and prejudice. Uh-huh. And, and they've had to give disclaimers before and say, you know, you know, we are showing this slice of life, but we don't agree what this person is saying. And I believe that this season, you know, there's a lot of people that are really mad. Um, well, and it, is, it, it sounds like Big Brother really is a slice of life and you're gonna have a lot of the issues that come up in everyday life, certainly ought, the prevalence of autism, it stands to reason that there would be a contestant on the show who was on the spectrum given the prevalence. And I do think that that's part of why the show is successful because mm-hmm. I, I, and I do think that there's an educational component to it. And this particular season, um, it's interesting because it's people who had been on the show before and were popular and have social media following. And it seems like each and every one of them came on with an agenda that they wanted, that there were things that they wanted to talk about um, and, and things that they wanted to show the American public. It is a gut punch sometimes to see these things um, and to watch people go through it, um, to see, ah, it's just really, really hard. I, I think that there is a certain, um, you know, last night in case in point, there's a, there's a stereotype about, um, you know, what, what people say and how they say it in these microaggressions. That is the term that I want to use. And that's what everybody is talking about. It is there are these little microaggressions that people will say something about or to someone. And there, and this guy, the one who said all the really negative things about Ian, oh, he is like the captain of the microaggressions against other people in the house and he and it's very pointed at who it's at and i do think it's very racially motivated and and it is it is so ugly to watch um but what has what i think has been healing is to watch on the other side the person who's dealing with the microaggression who has the opportunity in the diary room to say you know when this person says this, this is what it makes me feel like. And I wish people knew that when they say stuff like that, it feels like this to me. Um, I think that that is the healing part of what the show is. I do think that there is merit in it. Yeah. I'm wondering how a lot of our parents deal with if they have had um, instances where their kids have been made fun of, um, how they dealt with it. Um, have you ever had that happen to you, Shannon? Oh, oh, so many times. Right. And yes, I mean, um, and I would love to say that it still doesn't happen. Um, but you know, um, there are times even now for my son, you know, girls, um, can be really mean. Yes, they can at a certain age, particularly. And, um, and I, you know, I've seen it in the last year, something where my son will just be asking someone a question, a girl. And, and I know that this, these girls would never think of themselves as being bullies, but, you know, he'll just ask a question. And because, like, he doesn't have permission to ask uh-huh. them or whatever, they'll give him a look like, get away from me. Um, and it's just, I just want to like call those, the parents up of, of those girls and say, I get it. 
your daughter is going through a whole other set of things, but she doesn't get to behave that way. Like yeah. that is just, yeah, Jem has been horribly bullied and I'm so lucky that Jem is doing so well, but the flip side of that is that he is aware of when he is being bullied. Right. And, and Wyatt is not aware of it. I ha I don't believe. Um, but I but I know that Wyatt has been bullied. Yes. I remember another incident when he was doing track where he stopped and on the track and started stimming and two boys behind him were making fun of him and saying, what's he doing, you know, and, and doing it just like him. And I stopped those boys. You know, I try to use these as teachable moments. Yeah. And I, you're much I, better I, about I, that in the moment than I am. I have seen you get you angrier. That. You just get angry initially. I shut down. I shut down and I want to pull him away and I want to sequester him and I want to like move to a cabin and never be in the real world again. I know. Like, well, I, it makes you feel that way. It makes you feel absolutely horrible and violated. Um, but I, but, but I, I I'm not that. good at turning around. I've seen you in the moment turn around and say, this is my son, Wyatt. Right. And, you know, and, and, you know, what is your name and make them, you know, meet on their terms. I've, I've watched you do that. And I've been very impressed with you over the years that you do that. I, I just go, Foomp, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder how some of our parents out there deal with it. Write us and tell us how you do because. Yeah, we're, we're I, almost out of time. Okay. But, but I do want to say, um, Sally Burton Hoyle, the, that joined us a little while, she wrote in yeah. a bunch of things while we were talking. Oh, what did um, she write? Um, so I'd love it, to hear her opinion. She was the person who said um, to us about, do not invite the government police into your lives. Right. She said, on several occasions when this was used with my brother, it had disastrous effects long term. A crisis plan should be developed um, uh, and that some state uh, plan should be developed to address this statewide. In Michigan, through mental health agencies, there is a crisis team. But that, okay, but, uh, and I'm piecing together from several comments that that came after several deaths. And she said, supports are mandatory and best when it is witnessed by mental health. Um, and she also said, yay, Olay. And I want to say, yay, Olay to, uh, as well. I think it was the right move that Olay made. I, I support that. Um, I think it was the only healing thing thus far that has come out of this, but I hope more healing will come out of it because I do watch that show and I want to keep watching it and I will keep watching it to support Ian. Um, but it makes me not enjoy it. If that is what they're going to do is, you know, allow people to Listen, I, you know, I have not gotten over, and I know I'm going to open a can of worms here and we've got one minute, but, um, you know, when our, our current uh, president made fun of the reporter, right? and I know that, I know that people have many different feelings about that. I've never gotten over that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying, and, and, and I, and I, part of the reason why I've not been able to move past it is because it was explained away as that, that that's not what was happening. And I think if you're ascension adult, you know that that's what was happening. Well, I think we all as adults need to be aware of our reaction to those with differences and be a model for those in the world. And once again, I just want to say, because we're, as you said, Shannon, we're almost out of time. We want to salute the first responders out there, uh, particularly those who have kids on the spectrum, because we know how difficult their roles and jobs are in this time. And we appreciate you. And 
just our hats are off to you. I want to say too, Mike Kippel wrote in and said an interesting note, a boy who has autism and uses an augmentative uh, device uh, spoke on a 9-11 ceremony a few years ago about saying that his father was in one of the buildings and it was very powerful. Thank you for Mike. I think if people want to watch that, you should Google it to see um, if you can locate that. It sounds very inspirational, but thank you, Nancy, for bringing that around full circle. I want to remind everybody that next week we've got a big week of shows. Temple Grandin is going to be with us live on Tuesday. It is oh, my birthday. Great. It is my birthday. And, oh, and so Temple, Temple Grandin is coming on the show live for my birthday. It just doesn't get better than that. And uh, it was just Temple's birthday a couple of days ago. And so we'll, we'll chat about all that. But I am looking for questions. Temple prefers it when we get a, a flood of questions ahead of time. And I go through, cause like 13 of you will ask questions about, you know, how do I find what my kid is good at? And so I kind of consolidate the questions into categories and give them to her. She does not like to answer questions that only an expert and a, a clinician would answer, but she loves to answer your other questions. Uh, that are specifically for her about what it's like for her or what, you know, she might recommend about a, a specific non-clinical thing. So I'm asking that people please write in those questions. You can send them, you can write them in here. You can send them over to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com um, because I know you're all going to want to write in on Tuesday, but I'm going to be answering questions that people wrote in today. So please uh, submit your questions to me. So I've already got a couple of good ones, but I'd love a bunch more. So that will be on Tuesday. We do have uh, Bonnie Yates with us on Monday. Uh, she's gonna be talking with us more about distance learning and the things that we need to know about where our legal standing is with our kids doing distance learning. Cause I don't know, it's a poo show for a lot of people, but some people have gotten it under control and we wanna get more of you with it under control and doing what's right by your kids. So that'll be Monday and Tuesday. Um, and then uh, we'll share with you about the rest of the week because it's a big week next week. Great. So until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye, Shannon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. Stay safe.